And so, Ben, I really appreciate you asking this question and that uh, uh, we'll take an interlude from practice and, and tell an old story. I think history this, is very important. So, uh, yeah. This, this old story we could actually list as the story of nobility of the Sangha in Thailand. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that the key ingredient is Bhikkhu Buddhadasa, my teacher. Mm. But little did I know who he was when I first met him. That all I got when, uh, of him was enough inspiration to leave India and come to Thailand to go visit him. But poor me, and I really mean poor. <laughs> I bicycled from Bangkok to watch Suan Mok. How long did that take? I don't remember exactly. About six weeks or so. No, it couldn't have been because you can do 100 miles a day. It is about 700 kilometers, maybe a, a week, a week and a half or so like that. Yeah, about, about that long. That's some solid cycling that's that's a yeah yes, that's a lot of was. cycling <laughs> i really wore out a bicycle doing that <laughs> especially the spokes of the back wheel oh yeah i can imagine and um uh spending a night in a different watch because i knew how to you know pre-rent pre-room and board oh yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, spend the night with the monks, get up and have breakfast with them, and then bicycle on all day until you get to the next watt and get to the next town somewhere between 5 and 7 o'clock. Well, mm-hmm. it happened to have been about 7 o'clock in the evening when I uh, arrived at Wat Suen Mok, mm-hmm. having heard all about him from uh, a monk in India, mm-hmm. which began to make me really suspicious about magic because I had spent years in India all over the place looking for magic and finding one charlatan after another after another. Okay. In inductive psych, uh, uh, induct, inductive reasoning would say one after another after another. That means that the next one's probably going to be like that too. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. But sometimes there's really strange things happen that we can call serendipity, that we could jump on it like it was magic. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the name of this guy that I uh, met at Wat Bodh Gaya in India was from Wat Chulapatan, the, the largest, uh, just about the largest, it probably is the, the largest most frequently visited by lay people kind of large mm-hmm. in Thailand mm. with hundreds of monks next door to a, uh, um, let us say on one side of the property is a primary school. So it's a very, very highly populated area anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the abbot of that Wat is one of the best friends and close friends of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, which was Achan Panyananda. And Achan Panyananda was actually the Upajaya for Santikaro when he ordained. Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa sent him to Achan Panyananda. So here I'm meeting a monk from that Wat. Hmm. 
And he literally takes the Vasudhi Maga out of my hand while we were in discussion. And he asked me what I was reading and he took it. <laughs> this was an old print edition. It was one of the most uh, first things I think it was translated into English uh, edition. And it was published in India in the 1950s or something like that. And he took it away from me. <gasps> and he kind of gingerly tossed it onto the bed. No mattress, but it was a bed. I was mm. staying at uh, White Bodh Gaya in, mm. uh, in Bodh Gaya in India. Uh, that was something. And he said, we've got something a whole lot better for you. And he started to tell me about Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. And one of the points is very interesting, going back to the issue of magic. That monk's name was Bhikkhu Damarato. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I think I recognize and, that name. <laughs> and so, when I get to watch Soan Wolf, I'm putting together something that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that Damarato in India has said that I was coming and he was waiting there for that. No, the, the easy part was is that uh, uh, Achan Po had been to a Wat and Chum Pon and w- went back to watch So on Mok in the afternoon and passed by me when I was on the bicycle. <laughs> and he figured out just because of the way that I looked and other things like that that this guy's coming to watch So on Mok. I mean, where else could he possibly be going to? And he put it together like that. But boy, it sounded magical, especially when I wound up with the same name that this guy had. <laughs> but now I understand that it's a very common name in Thailand. Ah, okay, okay. Right. Very common. Mm. And so no, no, nothing special there. No magic yet. But, no magic yet. I, I, right, but boy, I was like a, uh, like a junkyard dog on a chain, growling at it. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping. <laughs> Let me at that magic thing there. <laughs> okay. But what I found instead was ultimately a friendship that felt like I was at home. I felt like that I had finally arrived. It was like, I didn't know, but that was the kind of reception and the relationship that I developed very quickly with Achan Po and Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. That one of the things that they can see is that I had been practicing uh, at least some sitting practice for quite a long time. That's good that they were able to recognize that, yeah. yeah. And so they, they picked that up. Now, uh, shortly after I arrived, Santicaro also arrived. His name was Buddy at the time. We were both lay people. Mm. And that his parents actually came and visited him there. He was in the Peace Corps in northern Thailand. And the, the Thai government and the United Nations finally put enough pressure uh, on the uh, Reagan, basically, uh, uh, to take all of those refugees out of those camps. Mm-hmm. That they had been there for years. The war had been over 10 years or so, and they're all in these camps, a lot of them getting elderly, mm-hmm. and they moved them to the United States. Mm-hmm. And at this part of the story, Santa Clara is out of a job. Ah. While he is speaking, reading, and writing like a native in Thai language. Mm, okay. 
And he heard about Bhikkhu Buddhadasa when he was in the refugee camps. I mean, Bhikkhu Buddhadasa is known all over the place. He is probably the most well-known still after 30 years after he's dead. He's still the most famous monk in Thailand. Mm. And so here comes Zante Carlo walking in. <laughs> and uh, uh, I think the sequence is, is that he, he wanted to ordain. Mm-hmm. And so they sent him to Wat Chulapatan in Nornterberry with uh, Achan Panyananda and Bhikkhu Damarato up there. And he stayed up there for about six months or so. Meanwhile, I ordained. Mm-hmm. But they ordained uh, Achan Po, uh, arranged something quite interesting. Uh, he got nothing less than the Sumdet Sangharaj of South Thailand, uh, Venerable Achan Kesathero, to be my Upajaya. And he was the one that gave the name Damarato. Ah, okay. And so in, the, in that uh, 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 ordination ceremony, got lots of pictures of it, uh, Achan Po, is the officiating Achan, mm-hmm. and that Kesathero uh, uh, is the Upajaya. And so that, rela- that triangular relationship then uh, remains strong. Mm. Okay, but Kesathero uh, uh, trusted Achan Po enough with me <laughs> that he let, you know, things go like that. Uh, but I did keep that kind of relationship with Case uh, Arthero. So I feel really lucky. That's another thing that let me feel like that they thought I was special enough that they brought out the biggest guns that they could find. Yeah. For yeah, my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest guns. Right. And so, um, yeah, blew me away. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would be I would be very blown away if I was in that situation. <laughs> very, very blown away. So one of the mistakes that I had made was when I began to understand who Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa was and what he taught, it really clicked. Mm. I mean, I got it almost like that. Major change turnaround. It was like I was ready for it. And okay. so from, from that ordinary Buddhism, looking for magic and looking for deep meditation and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff into, hey, man, wake up, be here now, take a deep breath and enjoy your life. <laughs> You've got no place to go and nothing to do. Hmm. A complete yeah. wake up call is to stop trying and enjoy your life. Okay, mm. so that's the... Uh, uh, but I knew that Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa also have, was famous, but I thought that he had figured out on his own what the Buddha actually taught through the suttas. Mm. But I began to put more and more together, and I eventually found out about this story, that what had happened was is that when he was in, let us say, advanced poly school, he was both arguing with his teachers and also making public speeches. And he gave a talk at a medical school. It was something like a uh, uh, graduation ceremony or something mm-hmm. like that, the, uh, the talk that he gave. Yeah. And he laid it out. He laid it out. And there were people in the audience that did not like what he was talking about. Ooh. 
And so back to the school, which is also, this is like downtown Bangkok now with all of the biggest, most important temples in the country, all mm. basically within walking distance of each other, mm. with all of the heaviest high dude monks, some of them on the Religious Affairs Council and whatnot. And he is brought up on charges of a Sangha de Sessa. What the word Sangha de Sessa means is a destruction or a breaking of the Sangha. In other oh. words, he's teaching heresy, and he's teaching it publicly as if it were Dhamma. Oh. He's sitting on the pulpit as a monk. Can you imagine like a pulpit, a, a preacher uh, uh, in Christianity standing mm -hmm. in front of the, uh, the audience and say, folks, heaven is right in front of you if you knew how to get it. Don't worry about Jesus. He's been dead for 2,000 years, and you missed his point in the first place. That would be crazy outcry. It would be. Can you believe it? That's the kind of outcry that happened in Bangkok over Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> very, very because... brave. Very brave of. Uh, very brave of them to but do brave that. Brave indeed. But guess yeah. what? He had. This is the part that makes the story interesting. He had friends that he didn't know. He didn't know. Okay, so he, he had friends they did not know mm. at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, but slowly it became known that um, the the trial actually it's a, it is a trial. A sangha de sessa means a trial that takes twenty monks, and that if the offense is severe enough, mm -hmm. that monk could be expelled. But it's got to be like theft or uh, uh, get, getting caught, let us say, on YouTube, going into a brothel. <laughs> that would be pretty bad. That would be very bad. <laughs> you know, indiscretions are overlooked, but yeah. uh, out and out flagrancies. Mm. But <clears throat> the Sangha de Sesta is not an out and out expulsion, but it is something that requires... Uh, a humbling and, and retribution and that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, big deal. Mm -hmm. Because the Sangha is always built on friendship anyway. Mm -hmm. So what it turns out was is that some of the monks who were on this council of 20 were noble and some were not. And when they called Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa in to defend himself, he could actually do that quite well in the Pali. Good. That's very good. Good for him. Yes. yes. Right. Which caused then discussions among the judges, which then brought on, so I understand, a poly research that caused a new edition of the Thai language version of the poly canon to be published. <laughs> this is now getting really interesting. Isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, because this, this was actually quite publicly well known mm -hmm. and a lot of people were involved with it. But to make everything come back together, because it's all got to fit together, the final sentence was that he was teaching the correct Dhamma to the wrong people. Now that's indicative of what's really going on that I was telling you before that you don't put your best diamonds in the front case of the jewelry store. You keep them out back. 
you and, keep uh, them out back. And here, yeah. Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa is dressed up at all the jewels of the Buddha, <laughs> walking <laughs> up and down the street with it. <laughs> Showing it off to everyone, flexing Showing it. Look it at me. <laughs> exactly so. And that began to open things up. Mm. One of the things that, uh, that makes it very interesting is the relationship that he developed with a particular monk who happened to have been on the council, but he was also the Samdet Sangharaj of Thailand. I mean, this was a top dude kind of... The top uh, dog. The top dog on the, the top council. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, from Wat Tim. Mm. So there developed a relationship between Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa and Buddha Gosajarn. And they communicated, and all of their documents and communications were kept at Wat Tim and are now part of the Dhamma archives of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's archives. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That is. That is really amazing. That, but they're not translated yet into English, and we don't even have anybody scheduled to do that translation ah. yet. <laughs> There's so much good stuff that needs to be translated, and so few people do. <laughs> God, <laughs> so much juicy stuff. All the juicy. Some very goodness. good. Okay, so eventually, uh, uh, Bhikkhu Buddha Gosajarn actually did come down to watch someone Mok in 1939. Mm-hmm. Was when he actually came down. That was at the time when they formally became student teacher. So Bhikkhu Buddha Dosa, oh, excuse me, Bhikkhu Buddha Dosa did actually have a lineage and a formal teacher. But the teacher came to him because Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa got caught publicly telling the truth. Caught telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Spilling the beans, letting the cat out of the bag. This this noble cat that has been kept quiet and safe inside the Sangha because in fact there are dangers. There's actually the dangers? two kinds of dangers. What are they? One one kind of danger is is that if a particular student hears the noble Dhamma wrongly into the understanding that uh, um, that right ordinary view is mm-hmm. not correct, then he can instead of go up to the noble level will fall into wrong view, which is the view that I can get away with anything. Right. They, and they can then become corrupt. There are corrupt people. Okay, so it can, the oh, noble yeah. Dhamma can take someone that would be a, an ordinarily good person, you mm-hmm. start teaching him the noble Dhamma, and he eventually will get corrupt. Yes, the world is full of corrupt people, so that is, uh, <laughs> that's no surprise to hear. Right, because they have wrong view, and what is yes. that wrong view is basically I can get away with it. I can get away with it's anything. Pretty, uh, with, where the law of karma is clearly stating is, is that if you do good, you'll get good results, mm. and you, if you do bad, you'll get bad results. Mm-hmm. Now, the, a lot of the kids will say, hey, but I did bad, and I didn't get any results, so I got away with it. And so now they add an asterisk at the end of it mm. and put on that asterisk the three words, no matter what. Okay. And that's when it becomes magical. Mm-hmm. It becomes magical when you add the no matter what. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So if you don't add the no matter what, then they turn, there are times then that you can get away with it if getting away with it means that someone did not punish you. Mm. But that does not mean that you may not find your own punishment for it. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. You can very easily find your own Yes, you can very easily, right. And one of them is the attitude, I can do anything and get away with anything. And then you do something stupid and get caught. <laughs> uh, you'll get caught, you'll get bitten on the bark. Consequences <laughs> will be, you know, could be very, very, very severe. Mm-hmm. And so that's one danger is is that people can fall out of ordinary right view. I can't get away with it into yes, I can get away with it. I can do and this. So I can get away with anything. And then I can get away with anything. And then they've got a life of misery and suffering because they eventually found something that they couldn't get away with. So that's one way mm-hmm. uh, that it's dangerous. Another way is actually a little bit more collective. In the sense that some people really understand the teaching of the Buddha and understand it to be correct, and they don't like a bit of it. They can't make any money off of it, and they don't know how to manage it when other people have. So we've got to make sure that this Dhamma is wiped out. And that was the job of the Brahmins. They took on that, and they eventually were quite able to do it in India, but it really took a whole pack of lies uh, Mm -hmm. getting the the moguls to do it. You don't know who did it, really. Was it the Brahmins who finally won out, or was it the moguls, Mm -hmm. Islam, that destroyed Buddhism? But in that slaughter, it took 200 years, by the way. It's a long time. 80 and 100 million people. Oh, goodness. And that's why you have, uh, that's one of the reasons why you had Buddhism spread all over the place about that time, even into Japan, which had, by the way, it was ready for it because that was at the end of the Shogunate. We're talking about 12th century now, starting from the 12th to the 14th century. All this stuff really fits beautifully together. But meanwhile, back to the story of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa now. And that was, is that we have to look at where did the lineage a Buddha Gosajaran come in. Why did he know the Noble Dhamma? And why is it that you've got such powerful, important monks in Bangkok who will defend Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa rather than having the whole crowd of them? You know, if he was the only noble in the house, he'd have 20, you know, even if they kind of suspected that he was right, they'd still be against him. Mm. No, he actually had nobles that were on that council. That's the thing. I mean, the inductive logic says they had to have been for two reasons. One, he's got off scot-free. Yes, that's number a very big two, reason. That's right. And number two, the head dude on that council became his personal teacher for mm. long term. Okay, so that that's a really big point there. Mm. Okay, so now that we've established this about uh, Buddha Gosa, John, we look at the uh, where did he get placed on that uh, position of being the Samdet Sangaraj, hmm. the Samdet, the high, highest monk in Thailand. The answer to that was that he was placed on that by the king of Thailand, who had been a monk for many, many years, and then because of a situation uh, that uh, the, actually what it was is his brother died. It was King Chula Longhorn. 
This was Tame Tula Longhorn's brother, this this uh, monk uh, that we will call uh, Weeraj. Mm. Mm. Okay. Uh, Weeraj then uh, was born in 1860 mm-hmm. as the son of King Mongoot, who was also uh, the, uh, the younger brother of uh, Tula Longhorn. All three of these characters, by the way, appear in the uh, the stage play, The King and I. Oh. This was King Mongoot. And the Thai people love that play with everything except King. King Mongoot was played by Yul Brenner, and it's not that they hated him because he had a shaved head. That was no big deal at all. What was because he, Yul Brenner was a typical... Western version of a king, 100% asshole. Uh, and yeah. it's not at all the noble that all the Thai people know that King Mongoot was. Wasn't an accurate depiction. <laughs> yeah, so they, uh, the movie uh, version with Yul Brynner completely missed the king of Thailand. Uh. Because they needed some drama, I suppose. Yeah, 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 yeah. They gotta, they gotta, they gotta spice it up. They gotta dramatize it. They gotta get people going. <gasps> Whoa. Okay. It's not historically so, accurate. In about 1868, then Chula Longhorn, I believe, came, became king. It was in that neighborhood of time, mm-hmm. uh, and this young brother of his then became a monk. Mm. Now this monk is supported by the royal family, and he makes enormous transitions to, the, uh, to Buddhism. He starts the Dhammayut, he reforms it, he takes it out of a cult, and, uh, and takes the magic out of it, and starts training the monks. He sets up a university in Pali, and all oh, wow. kinds of things. Yes, exactly so. And he also reforms the entire system so that this, he was the one who began education for the Thai boys within the Sangha. So at those times, and in fact, they still do this in Cambodia, is the best education a kid can get is by ordaining as a Samanin, a young monk, live with the monks and study with the monks and learn Pali his whole life. And when he is 20 years old or uh, at the right time, he will either disrobe and join the society or remain a monk. But this is where your really good monks come from. Both Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa and Achan Po went through that system. Mm-hmm. And I've actually seen it in operation. Now, here's the interesting question on the side. Where do the young boys go for breakfast? They go on a route on, with a senior monk that passes by the house their parents live in. That's where. So mom and dad sees her kid every day. Oh, that's <laughs> good. That's very good. And it's well fed. It's a very interesting system that they have. Mm, mm. It sounds very effective. Okay, so this this king or uh, this uh, monk that that did all of this reorganization and all of that kind of stuff. Then is um, <clears throat> he eventually becomes the king because uh, his brother Tula Longhorn died. Right. So he and needs I'm to not step sure up. about what year it was, and so he disrobed as a monk, 
-hmm. and became the king and remained a king for only a few years, and then he died. But before he died, he appointed this Bhikkhubhud Gosajarn as the Samdet Sangharaj of Thailand because he had already been that place. So now we're beginning to understand that not only is there nobility left within the Sangha of Thailand, but it's been right there at the very top mm. of the whole show all along, or at least for the past 200 years or so. Which means that it probably goes way back into history, that nobility has been there and is also part of the, let us call it aristocracy aristocracy right, right all right in other words we're talking about your educated people your business people the people who do have a good education well if your best education system is at the watt anyway there you go <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh it is um there is a phrase in the poly deva manusanam Mm -hmm. And that word deva does not get very well translated to gods. It's often translated as gods and men, but the devas are the same kind of devas in India at the time of the Buddha, and they are now, as devas are in Hollywood. Okay. Oh, <laughs> it's the celebrities, it's the top, it's the cream, it's the, the ones who are well-dressed in public. Especially in those old tie suits that you've probably seen pictures of with the pointed shoulders and all of that glitter oh, yeah. and, oh, and yeah, all yeah, of that yeah. kind of stuff. Okay, yeah, so yeah. these are these are the devas, but they're real people, mm. but they're educatable by the Buddha. Mm. And then there is the Manu, which are the ones who can think with the front part of the brain, as opposed to those people who live by instinct which would be then the, in the Pali is the word the Puttajana. That's the masses. The masses are not ready, but mm. highly educated people are ready to come out of their magic and recognize that, hey, you can, in fact, fix up your own mind. Mm. That you don't have to pay the barber. You don't <laughs> have to pay the monk to get a haircut in the next life. Mm. <laughs> That the Dhamma is all the shares you need. Mm. Okay, so this is where uh, this thing all begins to put together is uh, that the magic got introduced as a way of poisoning the teachings of the Buddha. Because that's what the Brahmins had wanted to do all along. And if they can make some tweaks and changes here to take some really juicy stuff out, they might do that too. And so this is what I found out is, is that in the old days, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa would say about the Vasudhi Magad that he would agree with about 95% of the stuff that it was there. And then all the monks would turn and, and giggle <laughs> about that 5%. <laughs> but as you could see from the start of the story that we gave, that I had already run across the monk who was dead set against the book. And that's how it was by the 1980s when I had gotten there, that it was the old stuff where Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa was actually copying and pasting out of the Vasudhi Magga to write his own books with into literally ready for a book burning. Okay, and, and one of the things I have recently discovered, I'm not even sure if Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa knew about himself. Mm -hmm. But there is a point when... 
they talk about, for instance, the noting. You know that the Mahasi method is really wrapped up with the Basudi Maga. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so uh, the statement is, is that if you remove the hindrances, then you can do the noting. What they're missing there is the whole quality that I learned about from Bhikkhu Buddha Dasso. And I've done some research on this in the sense of the gladdening of the mind, changing the mind into the wholesome thoughts. But mm. in the Vasudhi Magan and the Mahasi, they don't have that at all. They just say to remove the hindrances and then note. Now, a noting thought is a nonverbal thought. It's like being able to see. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You do, uh, if you've ever played some games, you realize that you don't do a whole lot of talking to yourself. Yeah, very true. Very, very true. Why is that? Because you're focused on what is happening. And that's what we mean by noting in the Mahasi is we're noting what's happening. Mm. But we can fall because it doesn't have quite the interest that the game does unless we find a way of adding that to it. Mm. Then what happens is, is that the mind begins to wander very easily. And where is it going to wander to other than back into hindrances or unwholesome thoughts? Unwholesome and so thoughts, what you yeah. wind out with is either noting or unwholesome thoughts, one or the other. Mm, yeah. But the actual training of the teachings of the Buddha is... <laughs> Rawhide. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We have to, in fact, herd that mind, herd those thoughts back into the wholesome, get them back on the path. Yes. As only when the thoughts are wholesome can we then use the noting with wholesome thoughts. Yeah. 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 And that if you don't have the wholesome thoughts, you either have a momentary uh, hindrance or you have a momentary noting mm. back and forth between the two. That can eventually lead one into fearfulness, mm -hmm. disgust, mm. what some people call the dark night of the soul. And the whole point about the Mahasi method right up front says you've got to be free from the hindrances. Well, how are you going to do that? And still have discursive thought. Yeah, it seems like they skipped out a whole very important big <laughs> process or method. Just yeah, just don't have the hindrances and just know. Uh how do I move away from the hindrances, please? You know, could you explain this? Uh yeah, it seems like they missed out a very important piece of Mm -hmm. very important piece of information. The question now would be, was that actually done intentionally or what? Mm. I mean, you know, if, if oh, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Um, it seems to me that if the, the method for removing the hindrances is so important, I don't understand how it, you could accidentally leave something so crucial out. Unless there's... Especially since there's so many suttas that try to push it back in with a sledgehammer. Exactly, even. Ex exactly, exactly. There's so many ways... And you almost have to ignore those suttas and mm -hmm. stay most specifically with this, uh, the Satipatthana Sutta mm -hmm. and this backup of commentary and the Vasudhi Maga and stay just down that one narrow path is the only place that you won't run head on into wholesome thoughts. Mm -hmm. 
Why intentionally leave it out? I don't. Come on, everyone's trying to All remove right. if suffering. You, if, uh, well, if you are in fact not wanting mm. the real Dhamma to spread mm. because your family made money off of the ceremonies, then then you might in fact uh, um, want to uh, place some people on the inside. Mm. Okay, and this happens in in many places. I mean, this is all about the Council of Nicaea and all of the book burnings that were done after that in order to uh, get a unified story because uh, uh, Constantine didn't care what they came up with so long as they all agreed. Mm. Okay, so it can be that kind of thing. But in the case of the Vasudhi Maga and what happened with the original monk Buddhaghosa, was that he was Indian Brahmin and that he actually, um, well, for him, learning Pali was no big deal because he all, I mean, he already spoke the, the native languages there anyway, which Pali was the native language. And so, mm, yeah, uh, he was the one that put together a lot of the commentaries and then wrote the uh, the Vasudhi Maga. Mm. And he, but it was a committee action. It's a very interesting work in the sense that it actually follows a particular sutta. Mm, mm. The sutta that it follows is sutta number 24, the chariot race. The chariot race. Right, the chariot race. Mm. and how, Or not a chariot race, the chariot relay, excuse me. Relay, okay, okay. Okay, a chariot relay. In the sense that to, uh, to go from this city to that city, the king has to take a chariot. Mm-hmm. And it's a seven-day journey, so he takes a chariot to the first roadhouse, and then he takes a chariot to the second roadhouse. And so in the sutta, this is how it gets its uh, uh, name, uh, the chariot relay, is because it goes in the sequence. Uh, It's actually a conversation between some visiting monk in Sariputta. And Sariputta is checking this guy out to see if he is actually worth being able to teach the Dhamma. There are ways. There are ways to find out if someone is noble. Okay. Okay, many ways to find out if someone is noble or not. Such as? Oh, it takes one to know one, but (laughs) sometimes it takes a long time to figure things out because you really don't know what's in the mind of a person. So you have to watch behavior and speech and friendliness and kindness and is he in a hurry to go someplace is he asking you for things you know there's a whole litany of things that you can figure out there's a big old list a long list exactly big old list of mannerisms Mm -hmm. Mm. so uh not not hard to do if you know what you're looking for and you just figured out (laughs) <laughs> right, you you just look at the fetters and you say checklist, checklist. Okay, <laughs> tick 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 tick. Okay, this person's pretty noble. <laughs> All right, so um, back to uh, the Vasudhi Maga and and the point that we were making was that because uh, I actually had a conversation with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa on on this and several other very surprising topics. And and that was was the Vasudhi Maga intentionally poisoned, or was it done out of ignorance? Mm-hmm. And me being the Westerner that I would be would take that it was poisoned, that that Buddha Gosa knew exactly what he was doing. Mm-hmm. 
and Bhikkhu Buddhadasa would take the position of giving him a break, but the only break we can get him is that he was a fool rather than a charlatan. Those are the two choices. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The likelihood of him being a fool is very remote. The likelihood uh, of him being a charlatan is extraordinarily interesting, and there are still people <laughs> trying to, uh, you know, actually uh, make some proofs about that. Mm, mm, but yeah. this is one of the places. There are many places like that, little places. A lot of it has to do about the self. Because the Vasudhi Magha is very clear about there's no self in some places, but then it leaves doors open and holes and things that uh, the suttas don't, uh, that the suttas themselves plug these holes up. Mm. Okay, so this is the story, by the way, of Bhikkhu Buddhadasa is that he was a noble in Thailand that was not part of the aristocratic nobles of the Dhamma, mm. but he was invited into literally the inner group of the old boys club. The old boys club? <laughs> the, really, literally mm. the old boys club. Yeah, these yeah. guys know how to be boys. <laughs> <laughs> In a very high class, noble way. All right. So, and they knew that knowing, and in fact, uh, they began to also, I think, encourage him well, let's go ahead and let the noble dhamma out and open. Mm. Let's stop with the magical stuff and giving the people almost the whole show, mm. but leaving a few key ingredients out here and yeah. there. Yeah. And so this is where we come to with Achan Po has asked me, when I'm on the internet, only teach the noble dhamma, only teach the uh, supramundane. The Pali word is terra loka. Terra okay, loka. only the terra loka dhamma. Or, uh, excuse me, got it backwards. Loka terra. Loka terra. Uh. Got it backwards. Loka terra, <laughs> right. Above the world. Above the world. Loka terra. Mm -hmm. To mm. be above it all, to be out of. Uh, and when we say um, out of the world, in that regard, we would mean to be out of the competition mm -hmm. or out of the critical mind. Yeah. The mind of yes and no, the, the mind of I like this, I don't like that. This is good, this is bad. I want this, I want to kill that. Mm. That's all ignorant way of looking at it, okay? That's suffering, wanting mm. things we don't have, trying to get rid of stuff. Right. <sighs> That's critical mind. And mm. we are famous for it in the West. We even oh, hire people yes. to be critical. Critical thinking. I remember critical learning it. Exactly. I remember taking a critical thinking module in college and exactly. It's, and it's just so ingrained started, to us. Mm -hmm. And you and every one of us who has that ingrained to us start to turn it on ourselves and be critical of ourselves. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Stop it. <laughs> stop because those are all unwholesome thoughts yes yes they are they're all very very unwholesome and so if the Mahasi method is continuing to use either the critical thought or the noting then that what they mean is is that they'll be noting critical thoughts or and or noting things that are followed then by the critical thinking about what they've noted 
this is how the noting can become fearful is because of the critical thinking that they're using about what they're seeing. They're seeing what they see in themselves and they hate it rather than falling in love with it. Mm. Okay. That's the whole idea. Is, and I, I, I use this word love cautiously. But we begin to make friends with everything, including all of the stuff inside of ourselves we used to be critical of. In other words, we begin to nurture. Mm. And that's what I got from Achan Po from the very first moment I saw him and nothing else. Nurturing. Nurturing. That's all I ever got from him was nurturing. Hmm. Mm. So people in the West don't do a very good job at nurturing themselves. It's no. it's critical thinking and being self-critical. And this is bad. This is good. Yes. No. I like that. I don't like that. There's no. And they do not even understand that that is an actual example of the second noble truth. The cause of suffering is to go around making judgments. I like this. I don't like that. Mm. Ignorantly. Mm. That's the thing that you know, 90, 95% of people don't realize that it's a bad thing and that it's causing them and doing them a disservice and causing them suffering. Exactly. Mm. But, you know, the and first step what, is to realize it's bad. And that's, and that's what makes it noble is because, uh, back to the teaching of the Buddha that the we will talk critical thinking there is advantage to it mm. there has some benefit in it and that the buddha would say therefore there is gratification in it and because we find gratification in it we continue to do it and make it a habit and build up on it with mental proliferations and all of that in fact habits and habit formations are absolutely specified in sutta number 18 in the Majjhima Nikaya, the proliferations that tinge and pollute and color our perceptions so that every time that we reperceive something, it's tinged and colored with these feelings. Mm. And we keep pro pro uh, promoting it over and over and over again because we don't see the disadvantage. Once we begin to see that, th that this kind of thinking is dangerous, because it keeps us in a state of unhappiness, anxiety, uptight, having work to do, ha always feeling like there's something incomplete and not finished. We don't really have a way of resting. That any diploma that you get is only a diploma that is an indication or a pointing and direction of where you go get your next one. Mm. Okay, and there's just no end to it. Mm. This is... And the no end to it is, is because there's no end to that critical thinking yeah. that we have now ingrained as a habit that we thought was a really good thing in the first place when we, when we learned how to do it. Why? Because the only option is to be a complete idiot. <laughs> right? Yeah. And they, and they talk about that in the sense that the people who go to prison Generally, I know that it's a big racial component, but a lot of it has to do with stupidity. Mm. And that the black race is often kept stupid, intentionally stupid. They keep them stupid mm. so that they would the, be the ones who make the mistakes out of stupidity. 
And what is uh, the big stupidity? The big ignorance is I can get away with it. <laughs> and okay. we come right back to that. <laughs> right, exactly. So all of this stuff runs in circles. Mm. So um, that whole idea then of the wrong view, we can see that critical thinking then is ordinary right view. Mm. And this is the one that has the promise in it. This is where the comma comes in. Oh, if you do good, you'll get a good result. And if you do bad, you'll get a bad result. Where does good and bad come from after all? The reality is, is that when you do something, you often don't know whether it's going to be good or bad. Mm. An example is buying stock. When you buy that stock, you will not know whether that was a good move or a bad move until you sell the stock. Yes. And when you sell it, then if you made a profit, then you can say it was a good purchase to buy it. But maybe it was just a good time to sell. And we don't know. Okay, so what was the good and where was the bad in all of that? Mm. The, actually, it's the results determined the, the goodness or the badness of the action. If you like the results, it was a good action. And if you don't like the results, it was a bad action. Mm. And then we have the whole idea of mixed. The mixed comma. An example is that is the uh, referee is out on the field on the most famous game of the year and he throws mm -hmm. a penalty flag. What happens in that station stadium when he throws the penalty flag in front of all those crowds pre cobra Half of them are going to go, yay! The other half are going to yeah. go, what? <laughs> yes, exactly. So was that a good call or not? It depends upon which side of the stands you were sitting in. Yeah. All right, it was mixed. Some people like it, some people don't. In some mm -hmm. cases, it was good, and some people, in cases, it was not. The weirdest one is to go all the way to the end of that and say that the best thing that happened for Israel was the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. Now, that's stretching it, but you can see where the logic comes from is that yeah. you don't know what's good and what's bad. Yeah. You just don't know. You don't know what things will lead to, that clouds have a silver lining oftentimes. And so this whole issue about doing good to get good results and doing bad to get bad results is poisoned. Mm. And if we think that it's going to give good results, that good action gives good results and bad action gives bad results, that's just stupid. That's just ignorant. Mm. But it's a higher class ignorance than I can get away with it. <laughs> You can get away with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. So you can see these three tiers. Yeah. Okay. You have, the, the wrong, you have the wrong view. Hmm. You have the ordinary right view, which is uh, a critical mind. Yes and no, up and down, back and forth, this world, that world, you know, the whole nine yards of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and the ignorant, uh, the low-class world is, is that I can get away with it. I don't care what my mom says. She doesn't, she's not a boss of me. What, those monks, those nuns, they don't know nothing. I can get away with it. You know, I'm the mafia boss here. <laughs> I've been president for four years. I'm going to get away with it. If I got away with it once, I'll get away with it forever. Ha, 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 Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, 
that if you come to a conclusion that uh, the circumstances of that conclusion may change, but if you hold tight to that conclusion, mm -hmm, maybe we'd better take a second look and keep evaluating, keep looking. Mm. Okay, this is how it's actually specified in the suttas, that what is noble right view is the right view of noting, looking, seeing what's going on, with a mind of, of, it uses actually the word panya, but it uses also investigation. Mm. With a mind of wisdom that we look at it and we see how things are. And also we see it from various points of view. That, that uh, an, an ordinary view is from a viewpoint. Mm. Mm. That's almost like a photograph. And we live in a movie. Everything's <laughs> all over the place. The camera is moving. <laughs> so let's, let's take a look at things from a lot of different angles. Mm. That would be noble right view. Is let's, let's really figure out what's going on here. Let's examine all of the evidence. Examine it, get curious, investigate mm -hmm. it. Curiously investigate. This mm. is it. Mm. Okay, so this is one's right noble view. Now, how we apply that right noble view is to this particular moment, what kind of thought is this? Is this mm. a wholesome thought or is this an unwholesome thought? There's your investigation right there. Exactly. <laughs> that, by the way, the whip is more right effort. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The right view is already before you got the whip out. In fact, the right view is why you got the whip out. Yeah. But that only took true. a half second. Mm. It only took mm. a half second from you see what needed to that whip's out. Cracking the whip. Yeah. Exactly. So that's that's quite brilliant. Okay, so now we're actually seeing that we do that every time we remember to do it. That's why sati is so important on the Eightfold Noble Path. Yeah. And so right sati, right effort, and right view run and circle around each other. In this case, we would call right view in the sense of right investigation. Mm. Right waking up, right smelling, <laughs> right whatever observation it is mm -hmm. and then if it's unwholesome we do something about it <laughs> and, and, and that is the successful removing of the hindrances mm. because otherwise if we don't have those wholesome thoughts then when we come back to discursive thinking when the mind starts talking again it's going to go right back to the old habit it's always had yeah so temporarily suspension of uh, the hindrances for noting purposes uh, backfires. Backfires, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and so the Buddha was very clear of it. He was clear in this. In fact, one he uh, right the next thing that is put in that print right where we start start was and what is one's right effort. To see wrong view as wrong view, and to see right view as right view, and to take on right view. Mm -hmm. That is one's right effort. That's why they run and circle around each other. Mm -hmm. is we, we can figure out by observation what is, what new observations need to be made. Mm -hmm. What do we, how do we look next? Okay, so the right effort is to start to change our view from wrong view into right view, noble right view. Noble right view. Mm. Okay, and that we practice anapanasati precisely for this reason. Mm. And mm. it fits precisely together that this stuff just 
right like that. No effort, it just comes together, together. naturally. Naturally, because this is how the mind works. And so the Buddha is just giving a particular kind of map of the mind. And so in Anapanasati, the step number nine, and when I say steps, I'm not talking about march steps. It's much more like a waltz or a dance. I mean, we're just all over the floor when we're taking each step. (laughs) (laughs) And and so uh, step nine is actually this thing, investigate the mind, is to note what the mind is doing. See what the mind is doing. Look at what, and in fact, if it is talking, if it does have discursive thoughts, then look at them. Note what they are. That these are the objects of the mind. And mm-hmm. notice that they come and they go and they come and they go. That everything is temporary. That there is nothing fixed there. I've heard mm-hmm. many, many meditation students, even some of my own, uh, will come to say, "Is I've got this song or I've got this thought stuck in my mind. How can I possibly get rid of it? It's not stuck. <laughs> right now you're talking about it. You're not just stuck in it. You're talking about being stuck in it. That's a completely different. You've already gotten yourself out of it. Mm. <laughs> mind moments work really quickly like that mm-hmm. but in that case they're moving from one unwholesome to another unwholesome the way that we want to do it is to check out what is wholesome and come immediately back into the wholesome yeah. this is actually step 10 then of Anapanasati and these two things should probably be the first thing that happens step 10 is actually labeled as gladdening the mind Mm-hmm. But we could also talk about it in the sense of brightening the mind. Brightening. Brightening. Oh, Ooh, like that, exactly. <laughs> to brighten the mind, to let it be, uh, be bright. But also not only bright, but in the sense of light, means that it's not heavily weighed mm-hmm. down with the kind of uh, discursive critical thinking. That, in fact, we lift ourselves up the way that a tender infant is being lifted up by its mom. Mm. The tender infant doesn't have any work to do at all to get lifted up. (laughs) It's just, here it comes. So we can just lift right up. Okay, (laughs) this is the brightening of the mind. And we do Mm. that by by removing the unwholesome and bringing wholesome thoughts in. Now, the original one, the one that the Buddha came up with that is so famous is, Aha, I see you, Mara. Yeah. Aha, I see that critical thought. Aha, I see that hindrance. Yeah. And that aha is actually now the beginning of a wholesome thought. Mm. That's the first brightening of the mind. That's the first gladdening of the mind is the recognition that I have just now come out of it. But in fact, when we're in that hindrance, we're clinging to it, we're stuck with it, it's on and on and on and on and on like that. But when we have that sati and we look at what we're doing, this is what happens. Aha, I see you. Mm-hmm. That instant of point in time, we have just become Lokatara. Mm. Because I was stuck in it, and now I'm not. I just came out. Aha, I see you, Myra. That first thought moment, aha, I see you, Myra, is liberating immediately. Yes. Yes, 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 it is. <laughs> it is immediately liberating. That We immediately stop clinging to that thing. We mm. set it down, and now we're completely free. When we were clinging to it, we, this was going on inside the mind. 
You were wrestling it. It wasn't wrestling with it, yeah. right? We're wrestling with that stuff, trying to hold on to it, cling to it. It's mine. This is me. Mm. And then we wake up and brighten the mind. Aha! I see you. Yeah. So. This is the first thought that we would have in the Anapanasati, and that would be also one's right effort. There it is. Mm. It happened that quickly. Sati, investigation, and uh, right effort. Pops that mind right out of that hindrance, right into wholesome thought. Mm. Aha, I see you. So the next thoughts are going to be something like, wow, I'm glad I don't have to think about that. Mm. Something like, you know, I don't have to go to work right now. Mm. I don't have to do anything right now. That's the best part. Oh, I can just sit here and take a deep breath and just relax. <laughs> no place to go and nothing <laughs> to do. And now you hear all of that sequence of wholesome thoughts coming in. Mm. One wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought. Yeah, on and on and on and on. Mm. Wholesomeness. Okay, so this is actually the teaching of the Buddha. Mm. Not in the sense of noting the dukkha and keeping it. Yeah. But to note it and immediately jump right out of it. Yeah. Through mindfulness practice that I have done, as in MBSR, I was taught noting, but it was literally just to note it and then just not do anything. Mm -hmm. It was to just note it and not do anything. But this the method that you have described makes a lot more sense because you just note something unwholesome and then yeah you know you've just noted it it's still there but if you did you note it that it was unwholesome though did you actually make this new point of view of investigating it to the sea is this wholesome or not is this a critic in other words that's the part that we're missing we're just mm. noting that it's there but we don't know the quality of it because we haven't been taught to investigate. This is true in Vajrayana. I've seen it in Zen and mm -hmm. it is in print mm. in the Mahasi. Mm. Okay. That, and this is something that has been missed that was the actual teachings of the Buddha that goes along with the nobility. Mm -hmm. And so this mm -hmm. is why everyone's got the idea that there are no nobles left. You probably heard that. Yeah. It's been centuries since there have been any enlightened beings, but we'll still struggle. I'm sure someone around here will figure out what to do. Then, in fact, that's what pragmatic Dhamma is, is all about, is they think that they're, they're, <laughs> they have been delivered an entire barrel full of horseshit <laughs> called Western <laughs> Buddhism, and they are digging deeply with great glee into that barrel of horseshit, screaming, there's got to be a pony in here someplace. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the last half of an old joke, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but you get the point. Yeah. Okay. What they don't understand is the noble Dhamma has already been there. So it's been in the Sangha all along. Is part and parcel of the Sangha. And that's what's been missing in, in Western Buddhism is the Sangha. That they've got ideas about the Buddha, but they don't have a whole bunch of Buddhas running around. They don't have a bunch of nobles to, uh, to befriend them and to tell them to chill out and have a ball. 
<laughs> All they have is cooperation with each other that looks as, at least as much like competition as it does cooperation. In other words, Western Sangha doesn't yet exist. If it does, it's in pockets. And then that little Sangha will be in competition with the Sangha down the road or in the next state. That the real Buddhist Sangha that I know about in Thailand is all of the monks are in it. Mm-hmm. And that the higher up in the hierarchy or how many years you've been, you tend to go up with, with that class. So the really old monks, they already know each other all over Thailand. Mm-hmm. This is why Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa became famous the way he did was because he was so well known amongst the Sangha. He was well known among the Sangha. Why would you have such devotees of his in Bangkok if they didn't have that kind of connection going yeah, on? Yeah, very true. Or in fact, Achan Po, excuse me, Achan Cha mm. is well known to have been a student to Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, though some people read in the book that it's written that he was a, a student of Achan Mun. Yes, he was a student of Achan Mun. I don't disagree with that. But because you saw Achan Mun, you say, therefore, he could not have been a student of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. And that's like saying, well, you went to first grade with Mrs. Brown. <laughs> therefore, she's your teacher, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter how far you go into school. She was your first grade teacher. She's your teacher. She, Mrs. Brown, you, that's your teacher, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, a, yeah. that's an interesting mentality that they have. Mm. To whether, uh, rather than saying, no, we're talking about a sangha here. We're talking about a real sangha. We're talking about a, a community of friends, noble mm-hmm. friends, and they know each other and they communicate with each other. Here's one that's very interesting. The Dalai Lama has been to visit Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. Oh. He was successful at doing it the first time, and the second time uh, the Chinese government uh, put pressure, strong-arming the Thai government to not give him a visa. He had become too political by then. Uh. So uh, that's the kind of connections that we're talking about at the top. There is nobility in the Dhamma. Mm. I do, um, the only people who would claim that the Dalai Lama is not noble simply do not know what they're looking for. Mm. It is so clear. I mean, he's just a chuckle box. He's just giggling all the time, just like the <laughs> Buddha Dasa. <laughs> as well as the fact of these connections. Mm. And so this is an introduction into the noble song. There's nobles in the United States. There's nobles in England. There's lots of nobles in the United States, and the reason for that is because in the refugees, of which we talked about originally when Santicaro mm-hmm. left, the other side of that story is, is that all those people came to the United States, and then later I was a monk in the United States traveling from Watt to Watt to Watt. Mm-hmm. But in fact, it was, it was quite a remarkable story. Uh, I had a young man who uh, had ordained in the Lao system, and uh, they, they were staying at uh, Watt High Point, which is about 30 miles south of uh, Watt Greensboro. And so he would come up often, and mm-hmm. we would talk about the Dhamma, because he, uh, he knew Lao, but not as well as the monks would be speaking Lao. 
Right, right. Okay. okay, he knew Lao, but he knew English, okay? And so he became my student. Well, guess what? He ratted on me. <sighs> he ratted on me. And I was summoned to um, uh, one of the big monks in uh, Colorado, in Denver. The, the abbot of the Denver Watt happened to have been his uncle, as well as another monk. And so he and uh, his uncle... Uh, who had been newly ordained and was staying in High Point, North Carolina, we all went to Den- uh, Denver mm-hmm. to stay. And that was when I found that, guess what? The Laos have nobility also. Mm. The, the noble had summoned me. <laughs> 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 and that really helped to get into that Lao community. That was really like an, in, I mean, the door just literally... It not it not just the door opened. It literally kicked me in the butt, <laughs> getting me. You know that that's how it almost feels. Is is that uh, because I wasn't quite expecting that? Because in fact, I knew what to ask for within the Thai community. Mm-hmm. All I have to do is mention Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa and look at the reaction. Everyone's like, oh, <gasps> or yes, I know him, mm-hmm. which is the more uh, res- uh, response that you get in uh, in the watch mm-hmm. that Achan Prasert, who was the abbot of um, the Watt in Fremont, California, uh, very close to San Jose. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's also a student of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. So he and I had good times together. And then in Chicago, in fact, this is a big one. A monk that I knew in Thailand at, uh, in the 1980s at Wat Suan Mok was the abbot of a Wat in Chicago. Oh, okay. And we knew each other <laughs> already. Oh. Mm. And so this, this is how the noble Dhamma is well known mm-hmm. in the West but only by mostly monks who don't speak good English. Mm. And the websites are mostly in the native language of uh, the culture. Mm. And so what we're looking for is to uh, put together an organization that can help Westerners find their ways into these watches. There is so much nobility to be shared. Mm. There are and they will find warm, welcome, friendly people who want to share the Dhamma with them and would be overjoyed if that student would stay and eventually start teaching meditation classes. So we've got room for 400 new Dhamma teachers. Room and board already set up, (laughs) ready to go. All we have to do is start making the connections and to top it all off, Robert and I have already done a Zoom call with a group of people that put together uh, what you would have to call a proof of concept. And that okay. was Eric. Eric spent six months at what uh, 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 Ram in uh, uh, Washington State in Seattle. Mm-hmm. There's two two watts there, and uh, he stayed there for a long time, and then it got too cold for him, <laughs> and so he went he went on on roundabout bendabot, mm. uh, uh, what uh, is called tudong, except that you did it in the car. But he's been to actually quite a number of students. Okay. He's been to students in uh, Texas and in Mexico, and two in Florida. 
And so he's been going around right now. He's actually staying with his with his dad. At a first point, he said that he didn't know quite whether he wanted to go do that or not. But now he's really happy that he did. I mean, because <laughs> Eric really did get the Dhamma. He's got it. He's got it. Oh, he's got it, and he took it very home nice. With him. <laughs> and he took it home with him to share with his folks. That's good. That's very good. And so he's on his way back now to. Um, no, he's still in Tucson, but he will be going back to Seattle area. But we do have a number of watch that we know of. We know, in fact, some of the names of the temple abbots. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got information, so we're going to be putting all of the watch uh, names and, and listing and all of that kind of stuff into our website, the the Open Sangha Foundation. Okay, okay. So that we can start having people connect with, uh, mm. with the local watch and then check in and see, you know, to leave some information about it and whatnot like that, with the kind of hope that many people will find it possible to... The, the actual way to do it is... To go visit, to go mm-hmm. visit again, yep. to go visit and linger, to go mm-hmm. visit and spend the night. Mm-hmm. And once you spend the night and now you're there the next morning, now they're going to look at you. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then you begin to spend the night occasionally. Mm-hmm. Then you spend a weekend or two having a private retreat. Say, mm-hmm. I come in and do the retreat. And I'll invite you to eat with the monks or beside them. And that's how the connection's starting to make. And then you can get to be a chauffeur for the abbot when he's going out to do ceremonies for the lay people. Mm. And so that's a way of uh, spending an hour or two with the abbot mm-hmm. of the walk. And so uh, that's what uh, I did uh, at one time, and so has uh, uh, Eric. I mentioned that, that that was something that he could do, and he volunteered yeah. for it. He was really glad that he did. Because that really put him in good with the abbot of uh, uh, being being chauffeur to the monks, taking them around and whatnot like that. It's really valuable. Mm. So we can actually do that kind of thing uh, in a big way. Mm. We can do that in a really big way. Like I said, we've got probably about 400 watts all together in the United States. I know... The last time that I talked to Achan Reed, he says that now there were 200 tie watts alone. Okay. There's tie watch that, uh, 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 and that's more than I knew because I knew that there was a, a close to 100 about 10 years ago. So that's doubled in 10 years. Oh, that's really good. That's really, really good. Uh, and also the Lao temples. I went to a lot of Lao temples because during those years, that's when they were ordaining the temple, the boat. They were building fancy, fancy places. <laughs> and so now, naturally, every Lao monk who could get to that ceremony would get to that ceremony. And so oh, it was yeah. always, uh, so I've done maybe 20 ordinations of buildings. Wow. It takes a whole weekend. It takes a long time <laughs> to do it with a lot of stuff going on. Mm. Uh, including and including the a buried treasure under each one of them. <laughs> it's a it lot is of well, well 
well blessed and well concreted and well hidden. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Of but course. always at the right dimension so that if you know where it should be, you take your pickaxe in there some night and you'll get several <laughs> thousand dollars worth of goodies. But please don't do that. <laughs> I'm sure the sorts of people who would be visiting wouldn't, wouldn't do something like no. that. You would hope. No. You would hope. It's really not worth the effort, and you're certainly going to get caught. Oh, 100%. There's no way you're not going to get caught if you try and do something <laughs> like that. Uh, so, what I'm, what I'm getting at is that these, these watch, these temples, all shared a commonality. Mm. They were overjoyed for me to be there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were all very happy. Very, very happy that I was there. I was always welcome. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the, the friendship of that. That it wasn't that I set a certain criteria, mm. but that that's the way that, that it works. That's the way that it operates, yeah. Mm-hmm. That monks are not critical of each other. In fact, I was cured of that at Watch Someone Moke. I said a derogatory mark about Santa Carl very early in the game, and I won't go into it except that that afternoon I was visited by a whole delegation of monks. I, I, learned, I learned my lesson. And I'm glad I was able to learn it so easily, but it was, it was, that was a slap. You do not criticize others. <laughs> Yeah, it's good that, you know, you were able to take it on board well and learn it early on. Mm-hmm. Ooh, scary. <laughs> well, that's why the song is built on friendship. Mm-hmm. Our, our, the whole show is all about how do you learn to be friends? How can you learn to be friends with yourself? That's what the song is all about. It's a... It, um, it's a friendship training camp. Friendship and training. some of them, some of those in training have been training for now 60 years. <laughs> it's a good way to look at it. Friendship training camp. It's a very good way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a training in friendship, learning how to be friends with everything. Mm. And so this is um, uh, in a nutshell, uh, quite a lot about Thailand and mm. the Thai Sangha and mm. that it it is a, a living, working, breathing, delightful way to live one's life. But mm. you don't have to ordain as a monk. But when we, somehow when Buddhism got to the West, it's like a jigsaw puzzle with a couple of pieces gone. Mm. Yeah, that that's that's what I've really come to realize. Very okay. very important juicy uh, puzzle pieces, which were uh, mysteriously left out of the box. Mm-hmm. Well, here's an interesting way of looking at it, mm-hmm. and that is that isn't the goal for the noble to be able to. Uh, have a, a mind that's pure. Mm, mm-hmm. Okay. Is that purity of mind meaning completely thoughtless, or is someone who has a pure mind able to think? Able to think. 
Okay, if he's able to think, wouldn't he be able to think in wholesome thoughts and not have his mind polluted with unwholesome thoughts? Okay. How is an ordinary individual who is practicing to become this, how is he going to be able to get to that state? If he is practicing merely a noting technique, Mm. then uh, the idea is, is that if he continues to note, that these things will somehow fade away and that his mind will become noble. The answer to that is, what is the causality for this fading away? Is it not that by the noting and actual noting and being able to note, he's actually noting and seeing that it's dukkha now? Mm. And by able to see that it's dukkha, then he can plot an escape. Wouldn't it have been better if we had 20 years before he figured it out for himself that we just kind of mentioned it to him? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. (sighs) It, It just seems like such a important piece to just conveniently leave out of mm. Western Buddhism, and it seems, mindfulness. And it seems to have been left out of the Vajrayana, out of the Zen, and out of the Mahasi part of the Theravada. Mm. Why did that happen? Why uh, is this whole concept about making sure that we change our thoughts with right effort into wholesome thoughts? Mm. The Buddha very clear about that in so many suttas. But in fact, one of my favorites on that mm. is Sutta number 48. And Sutta number 48, by the way, is a sister of Sutta number 24 that mm-hmm. we had talked about that the Mahasi and the Vasudhimaga follow Sutta number 24. There is a sister Sutta, they don't talk about it, and it's Sutta number 48. And here they're talking about seven knowledges. Mm-hmm. as opposed to seven purities. In this uh, sutta number 24, it's purity of sila, purity of mind, and that's the issue. Then purity of uh, uh, knowledge of, of, of self, or purity of view. Then purity by eliminating doubt. And mm-hmm. then purity by knowledge and vision of what is and is not the path. Those are the first of seven. We'll, we'll stop there and go to the other sutta. And there, it has seven knowledges, and the first knowledge is this. First off, it talks about obstructions and names each hindrance one at a time, but uh, Bodhi translated whatever the Pali was here, mm-hmm. into obstructions. And then it says that uh, the, the student knows that no matter how obstructed his mind is or can become, Mm -hmm. he can, he knows he can clean it out and come back to the reality and see the reality of the situation. This this is the first knowledge that is noble, Mm -hmm. super mundane, a factor of the path, and not held by ordinary people. Mm. Think about it now. The ability for you to have the confidence, the shraddha, the attitude, this part of the path, mm. noble right view, noble right effort, noble right sati. Now we add noble right attitude. Mm. 
mm. is that you know that no matter how obstructed the mind can get, you can clean that stuff out and come back to this present moment. That's mm. the first knowledge that is super mundane, noble, a factor of the path, and not held by ordinary people. Wow. That's the proof positive, is when you're practicing out upon a sati and begin to develop so that you can really get yourself over and over again really into a nice state. Mm, and you mm, know mm. you can do that. And you know that you can do that. And you know that no matter what happens, you can do that. You can get sick and you can do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They can offer you a piece of chocolate cake and you can still do that. <laughs> they can pop you in jail. They can handcuff you and you can still do that. You can make best friends with those cops. Mm-hmm. You know that you can come out of that crap. That's the first knowledge that is super mundane, a factor of the path. In fact, this is the definition of the first step of Sotapan. The first stage of Sotapan, the first step of Sotapan is right attitude. I can do this. Mm. Confidence. Confidence. Not based upon faith, Mm. but based upon practice and experience. Yes. When you start to have those experiences and you see it for yourself, you feel more confident in your abilities to do it. And then you're like, hey, hey, I've got this. I can do this. Do this. I can do this. Exactly. That's the enthusiasm. Mm, mm. That's the enthusiasm that builds. We yeah. become more enthusiastic for the path. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'd, I'd say, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I had a very good example of that i was just feeling awful and i just meditated through it and i just focused on the breath and i was able to pull myself back from you know the extreme unwholesomeness that i was feeling and then when i was done with the meditation i was just like i did it (laughs) yeah exactly yes let's go (laughs) And I, I I was very proud of myself. And then uh, uh, my dad works nights and uh, he was just sat in the in our lounge and I got up and I was like, dad, dad, you never guess what I just did. And I was like <laughs> boasting to him a little bit. I was, like, <laughs> I was feeling awful, but man, did I bring myself out of it. I feel Isn't so it out. interesting that I told you that story? Because there you've got it. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. To know that you can do this. Yeah. That that is so valuable. You can see how valuable that's going to go into the future because you're going to get yourself into tough spots and then you remember, hey, I don't have to do this tough stuff. Exactly. I can set this stuff down. Mm. I don't have to critical my way out of it. I can set it down and nurture my way out of it. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I just sat down and I just breathed and I just noticed I didn't get involved. I was like, oh, cool, cool, cool feelings. Yeah, yeah, whatever. No problem. Just cool, cool, cool. Uh, Just focused on the breath, and then I didn't tend to it. I didn't give it any more fuel or energy, and it just did its thing, and it just went on its way. And I was like, "Dad, I just did this. I'm so cool. Oh my god." (laughs) Well, that's what success will do for you. That's the euphoria that that uh, is often um, uh, available to the student. Yeah. That is in the poly. That's what is pity. 
that mm. pity is that euphoria of joy of, wow, I actually can do this. This is really good stuff. That's <laughs> what the euphoria really is all about, is that I finally found something. I finally found something. I've been looking for something. I didn't know what it was, but I, this will do. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. This, finally, I found something. This will do it. This will do the job. That self-confidence in, in your own abilities and, you know, you can see your practice really paying off and uh, benefiting you. You're just like, oh, yes, amazing. <laughs> well, that's what some wholesome thinking will do for you. <laughs> very wholesome, very wholesome thinking. See, look, I'm talking about it and I've got a big old smile on my face. And uh, yeah, very good stuff. Very, very good stuff. I can do it. Yes, you yes, can. Yes. Yes, you can. You can do it. <laughs> and this kind of attitude, also another issue about Western Buddhism, is a lot of people want to learn how to meditate out of a book. And you're not going to get that out of a book. No, Books don't set people on fire. Mm-hmm. Books don't give people that kind of confidence. That takes a one-on-one teacher. So that the teacher can verify for you what you've experienced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Hearing all of this, you know, it made me realize wait a minute, I've done this before. I did it very successfully. It was great. (laughs) I won't get that from reading a book or anything like Mm -hmm. that. No. Exactly. It's very true. And so this is why it's so valuable to have. a good Dhamma friend. In fact, the please don't be me. Don't know if you can hear me still, Domerato, but you've frozen. Uh oh. Oh, we're back. Mama, my uh, power is out over there. Can you go do something about it? Hello, hello. My power is out over here. Can you? There we go. Thank you. All good? Ah. Yeah, we lost power. Ah, okay, okay. We lost power. The whole place went down. And when the power came back up, not all of it came back up. <laughs> ah, okay. Okay, I understand. Mm. But yeah, it's very important uh, to have a, a teacher, a Dharma friend, as you said, who can... Yeah. Kali, Kali and mm. That was what Achan Po was. That's what a real Achan is. An Achan is a bosom buddy. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's not something way up there on the in the pulpit. That <laughs> <laughs> mm. it that it takes a um, a close relationship, and I'm really glad that we've got Skype so that we can do that and have a one on one. Oh goodness, it's it's great. It really is. It really really is. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. Technology can be very <laughs> annoying and problematic at the best of times, but you know. It's 
it's extremely useful. It really is. Mm-hmm. And wholesome from time to time. And wholesome from time to time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you remember. <laughs> yeah. Wholesome moments such as this. Yeah, it definitely helps. Uh-huh. Mm. Well, Ben, we've been at it for about an hour and a half, and this has been <laughs> such a delightful conversation. Yeah, I very much enjoyed myself. It's been a, it's been a very, very uh, delightful conversation. Yeah. So you keep practicing that way. Give yourself some delight. Allow yourself to be really well nourished like that. Oh Uplifted, yes. Oh delighted. yes. Delighted. That's what the word means. Is mm. delighted in the Dhamma. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. I will keep doing that because uh, yeah, it's very enjoyable. I do enjoy the process. <laughs> Great. Well, that's what's going to keep it going. That's the reason why uh, uh, the. Without that wholesome quality, the wholesome mm. thought, students wind up not enjoying it. Mm. And yeah. because they don't enjoy it, but they think they should, now they work really hard. Mm. Yeah, it shouldn't be the sort of thing that you have to force yourself. Right, I'm going to sit down now. You, mm-hmm. it, should, it should be a sort of thing that you look forward to doing and enjoying and almost comes naturally. And the best thing is, is that it doesn't even matter what you're doing. You don't have to go anywhere to do it. You're, there you are. <laughs> All you have to do is rem- <gasps> remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you. It's completely free. Completely free. You just gotta mm-hmm. remember and exactly. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> all right. We'll see you later. Yes. Yes. All see again you later. We'll continue on with this. I'm glad that you enjoyed our little talk about the uh, history of Buddhism in Thailand and the nobility. Very, very, very interesting. There. Very, very interesting. History, very important. So I very much enjoyed today's conversation. Thank you very much. Okay. See All you right, later. Then. See you later. Okay. Bye bye.